Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Today, I am going to be talking about Easter and Jesus's physique, sports psychology, my April resolutions, and water park disasters. I get pretty loose with the Jesus talk, so if you are one who gets offended easily by stuff like that, maybe wait until after Easter to listen and get offended. Happy Easter, everybody. This is the first thing I noticed about Easter this year. I opened up the newspaper, and one of the first things I saw was a a big full-page Easter advertisement. And I say an advertisement just because it was a full-page image of half-naked Jesus on the cross, and then underneath it, the caption, He is risen. That all makes sense. That's what Easter is. He is risen. And then underneath that, uh, the logo on the website of a furniture store, which is cool. I mean, I have no I have no doubt in my mind that the uh, purveyor here is genuinely professing his love for Jesus, but I I couldn't help thinking that this is a great celebrity endorsement. And you don't have to even get permission or pay for it or anything. You've got your your store logo right underneath Jesus, somebody that a lot of the people looking at that really respect and admire. That's why you pay athletes, actors, whomever to endorse your product is to get that association of something that somebody likes and admires next to your your logo in your name and your company name. And that's what they did here. And again, I don't doubt his motives or anything. It's just that is kind of the effect of what's going on. And uh, and you can make it look like Jesus is endorsing you for far cheaper than it has uh, than it costs for even Seth Payne to endorse you. I I noticed this probably because I see this thing all the time with NASA. I live right near NASA, and it's one of the first things I noticed when I moved down there. I live in I live in League City. NASA's up there in the Clear Lake area. And the one thing I noticed is when I was driving around NASA, all these businesses, they just plop NASA right in front of their name. And it's it's freaking brilliant. There's a NASA cleaning. There's a NASA auto repair. There's a NASA vision center. There's a NASA chiropractic. There's a NASA e-cigs. And like e-cigs, like a NASA vape shop. And I grew up thinking that NASA was like the pinnacle of what you could achieve. If you're an Air Force pilot, if you're a scientist, whatever it is, like think about that. Fighter jet pilots and molecular biologists would aspire to the same job, NASA astronaut. And now you can run down to the NASA vape shop and buy a bong from some white dude with dreadlocks. It's it's and it's absolutely free. There's no there are apparently no copyrights or trademarks. And I guess that makes sense because it's a government institution. And that would look kind of bad, I suppose. Uh, But it just it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right that the vape shop can share that name with NASA and kind of glom on to everything else that goes with the the prestige of NASA. You see some businesses in Houston try that with the Texans or, or the Astros too, because the, the Astros and the Texans both have kind of some parts 
of their naming and their trademarks are also common to Texas. Like with the Astros, you have a star, and there are a whole lot of star things in Texas because it's a Lone Star State. And you can put some kind of a space theme to it and make it kind of look like the Astros. The Texans, it's even easier because we are all, everybody that lives here or any business that's here is a Texans business. And you'll see things where they kind of have their colors and it kind of looks like their logo, but it doesn't ever look all that good. It ends up looking like something that you bought at a factory second store. And I I imagine that the trademark laws get kind of tricky when you have a generic name like the Texans, but that's uh, that's the price you pay if you want to have a really generic name like the Texans, uh, which is, I mean, that's what they chose. They chose the Texans, as generic as it was. The logo, for what it's worth, does get a whole lot of love nationally. The logo gets a whole lot of love. The name, the Texans, is a subject of derision elsewhere, I know. Here, we're fine with it, but elsewhere, people have their own thoughts about it. Anyway, uh... The thing that I also thought of when I saw this photo, excuse me, this painting of Jesus, which was, uh, you know, sort of a quasi-advertisement for a furniture store, too. It's the different ways that artists portray Jesus's physique. You guys that listen to my show know that I, uh, I love doing body type analysis. This is what I've noticed about Jesus. I did some research on this. Usually he's in a robe, but sometimes artists paint him au natural, especially when he's on the cross. It's almost always, you know, shirtless when he's on the cross. Um, but I looked at like a thousand images of Jesus this morning. And look, we all worship in different ways. I'm counting this one as a valid observation of Easter. I get credit for observing Easter because I analyzed Christ's body type on the cross. Uh, I would say this is this is the thing. When he's showing off his torso, he's usually lean you know, and not overly muscular, muscular, but lean and lean in a way that he's got abs. Like he almost always has abs, but it's not in a way that makes it look like he cares too much about it. Like he hasn't been cutting out carbs to get to the photo shoot. You know what I mean? He hasn't been, he hasn't been depriving of himself to get his physique ready for photo day. Uh, he's just, that's how he is. He's just naturally lean. Um, I would say he's typically somewhere in between like a young David Beckham and a young Brad Pitt, not as muscular as a young Brad Pitt. Sometimes they'll make him look super, super skinny, but still kind of athletic looking like a, like a shorter Kevin Durant. I don't like that version. I don't like that version. Um, uh, it, it's a few others, like a bodybuilder version. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I, and I, I think the person that made this bodybuilder image of Christ wasn't doing it as satire. That was where it was disturbing. I saw the photo and I thought, okay, well, that's clearly satire. Like, no, this guy envisions Christ as like a yoked up I, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would imagine he wouldn't need the steroids. I mean, if Jesus wanted to be a bodybuilder, I imagine he'd be really, really good at it. Anyway, happy birthday. Uh, Excuse me. Happy birthday. Uh, uh, Christmas is Jesus's birthday. Happy Easter uh, brought to you by the Deceptively Fast podcast. You can download us on iTunes or Sketcher or any other ways. We should have Jesus do an ad for. See, we could do this. We could have Jesus do an ad for the Deceptively Fast podcast. This is Jesus for the Deceptively Fast podcast. Uh, what do you do when you're bored on a flight? Going for a walk in the desert, just hanging out on the cross. Download the Deceptively Fast podcast back to the show eventually. It's going to be like 2,000 years or more. You're going to think it's going to be really short, but it's end up going to be way, 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 way longer than you, than you imagined. Anyway, happy Easter. This is the fifth episode of the podcast. I've come to two conclusions since I've done four previous episodes. First conclusion is this. I'm going to create some other podcasts and... I'm going to roll forward that way. I'm going to have this, the Deceptively Fast podcast, but another couple too. And that's actually in the interest of producing more content. And I know 
almost all of you that listen to this regularly will be saying, Seth, it's impossible to listen to it regularly because you're not really spitting new episodes out with all that much regularity. And this is only one podcast. Are you sure this is what you want to do? I'll tell you what I believe, and I believe that I've put too much thought into exactly what I want this podcast to be, what the content's like, um, what what the overall subject matters will be, and I've got a tendency to want to make it all things to all people, and we know that that never works out. So I'm going to narrow my focus in a few different areas so little Jimmy up in Pennsylvania doesn't have to suffer through Houston sports talk when all he wants is to hear my hot takes about creatine or fish oil or something like that. So this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to do the Deceptively Fast podcast, which will be this. It's a hodgepodge of interviews, monologues, rambles and meanderings but i'm going to create two other podcasts a football podcast that's going to be every day so that'll be mostly nfl some college some other just football issues interviews with football players exclusively or football writers exclusively and then i'm going to do a health and fitness podcast as well so i think that kind of encompasses the things that i'm really interested in but i can stay focused and just uh, do do 15 to 20 minutes a few times a week and roll that in, kind of springboard off of my normal show with Mad Radio. And I'll feel good about that. I've got a lot of things that I want to say that I can't really get out on the show. And uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe some people will listen to some of them, maybe they won't. I'm going to keep doing it because I like to talk. Uh, and I think that'll give me a template. And with that template, I can, I can produce more regularly. The second conclusion is this. After listening back and from uh, some, some helpful criticism from my wife, Brandy, I need to refine my interview technique. Podcasts are easier in a lot of ways than doing radio because we don't have the time constraints, but it's also harder in some ways because we don't have time constraints because there's nothing kind of telling you when to break where, you know, you don't have this natural timeline and without a co-host, all the questions are on me. So on my normal show with Mike Meltzer, he and I interrupt each other a lot. Now, this isn't when we're interviewing people, but when we're just talking to each other, we interrupt each other a lot. I interrupt him more than he interrupts me, but that's only because we both acknowledge that uh, my brain damage has left me incapable of remembering the point I want to make if I let him finish talking. And uh, I typically have the superior point, so I got to get it out there. But when I'm sitting here with Kylie Wong or Roberta Anding or some other guest in a podcast format, format, there's there's time to let things breathe. And when I listened back, I interrupted both of them a couple times. And I was mad at myself because as a listener, I was like, I was like, hey, uh, Seth, you, you, you bonehead. You didn't let her finish the point, you meathead a-hole. Let her finish the damn point. And I left and she didn't finish. I had to text her afterwards to ask a question about fish oil. Um, so this is that's what I'll do. I'm going to have at least three pods. I need names for the other two pods. I'll ask you guys to help me. So the Seth Payne football show and the Seth Payne health and fitness show. I need catchier names than just that. So tweet me some suggestions at Payne NFL. If I use your idea, uh, I will likely tell you that I'm sending you something. And then I, and I'll genuinely believe that, but then I'll forget all about it. And then you might politely remind me a couple times and then I'll totally forget about it again, even though I really want to give it to you. And then you'll just start hating me and, uh, and, and probably tell people about it, but you won't say it to my face cause you still kind of like me. So if you're going to name the podcast, I'll give you a public shout out. If I ever do have t-shirts, I'll send you a t-shirt, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, and this is the third thing that I've learned or at least relearned. And it's uh, something that I relearn again and again and again in this business and in modern life. It's that you just, you have to learn to ignore the criticism and the negative comments. And I'm, there are people out there listening like, Seth, you're horrible at doing that. I know, I know, I know. 
And, and this used to be just advice for bloggers and writers, but we live in this world now where we're all subject to all kinds of abuse on social media. And I say this with zero authority. I'm as vulnerable as the next guy. And there are times that I go down a rabbit hole of engaging with trolls or overreacting to things when I'm tired or I'm drunk or, or, or if I'm tired because I'm drunk as well. But I'm trying to move forward in this business without hearing whenever negative voices tell me I can't do things. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky as far as radio personalities go. I don't actually get all that much crap, or I don't get as much crap as other people do in terms of people just attacking me. But it's funny because as, as much as I'd like to think the reason I don't get a bunch of crap is that people like me, I think part of it is that I'm a former Houston Texan and most of the listeners to our shows are, are Texans fans. Uh, but I think I'm a, a huge part of it. And I talked to, I think I talked to Andy Kalou about this once. It's just that that I'm big. And I think there's something, even though it shouldn't matter at all on radio, people listening know I'm big. And there's some kind of primordial uh, instinct there where you don't mess with the big dude. And I kind of regret that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have that advantage over people. I wish people, uh, it feels like I'm inadvertently bullying them, but I think that's something that happens. If you think about this Houston local area, there are several former football players. There's Greg Cook, there's Andy Kalou, uh, there's Ted Johnson, I'm probably missing a few. I apologize to those guys. But none of us get all that much crap. And again, maybe part of it's just the love of uh, the, the football players. But Ted didn't play for the Texans. You know, Greg Cook didn't play for the Texans or the Oilers. But we don't get that much crap. And the only thing that the guy that keeps popping in my head as I'm saying this is this comedian that I'm friends with on Twitter. He's from Florida. He's a stand-up comic, but he does some acting too. But he's yoked. He's this bodybuilder. He's not, he's not a name you would know necessarily, but I can't think of his name at all. But I had talked to him once about whether or not he ever gets heckled. He's this, and he's this, he's an ex-Marine. He's a big dude. And he says he never gets heckled. And, you know, he kind of said the same thing where, okay, part of it's maybe that he's just really quick-witted and he's pretty good at shutting people down quickly. But I think part of it is just that he's a huge dude. And if you think about the typical heckler, it's not like a, it's not like a typical heckler expects a physical confrontation when he messes with a comedian. You know, when he's standing up in the crowd and, and and saying something to a guy on stage. And I would imagine he wouldn't expect that from a comedian on stage either, that he's going to get beat up or anything. But there's just some kind of primal recognition that we have about these things. It's all dumb. People are dumb. So I was thinking about going a month with no comments. Like, I don't read my mentions on Twitter. I don't check out the text line or Twitter during our radio show. Like, I just ignore all of that. And I know it would be really good for my mental health. I fear that it wouldn't be good for my radio career or my entertainment career. And and this is my concern. I think, look, entertainment. I mean, actual entertainers like actors and everything, I don't think they should ever read the comments. They need to listen to their acting coaches and their directors and all of that stuff. But as far as us in sports media... Twitter's a really good reality check. If if you say something outlandish and it's not intentionally outlandish, it's supposed to be funny, but something's something really stupid, something like Roseanne Barr is better looking than Jennifer Aniston, something stupid like that. People are going to snap back and they're going to and they're going to snap back typically really really fast. And when you see those comments, you're either going to sharpen your argument and harden it and strengthen it because you believe it, but you know you need to be able to explain it better, or you're going to realize that you were being, uh, you're being stupid, you're being dumb. Of course, Roseanne isn't as attractive as uh, as Jennifer Aniston for most people. If you're into that, whatever, that's fine. If you're if you're a Roseanne type, um, 
But I see some of these older guys in sports media who've reached a certain station and they feel like for their mental health, they're not going to bother with hustling on social media or interacting with their fans. And they get really out of touch really fast because nobody challenges these assertions of theirs. They're at a station in the industry where people work for them. They don't work for people and nobody's kind of telling the truth. And they end up with some outlandish opinions that nobody calls them on and they don't see it because they're not checking their mentions on social media. And I don't look, I'm sure, I'm sure Skip Bayless doesn't check his mentions, but he's the rare exception. Like he's, he's extremely talented. I'm no Skip Bayless. I don't think I can get away with operating the way the Skip, Skip Bayless do. But the other side of it is to, is this too. And I don't know if, I don't think I'd even be able to verbalize this necessarily. It's a matter of kind of just being a part of, a generation, which is, how am I saying this? I'm not saying this properly. It's like, I might be 43 years old. Somebody else might be 53, 60 years old. But to identify with younger people, millennials and such, you almost have to be using social media the same way they do to really sound or to get them. And like to get somebody who's 25, I think there's, there's a gap where I just don't understand some of the things they do or the way they live or anything like that. But I think I can at least partly get it by participating in social media the same way they do. I, or even just participating in social media the way that baby boomers use social media because grandparents are hella active on social media. But anyway, at the risk of sounding old, I'm going to try to do a one month comments fast. I'm not doing, I'm not getting off of Twitter or anything like that, but I'm going to, Try to not check my mentions, and when people, so if people tweet at me, you know, maybe I'll do this. I'll if you need to get a hold of me, anybody listening right now, and you want me to look at something, DM me on Twitter because my DMs are open. So I'll do that. Generally, people are somewhat civil in the uh, in the DMs, so I'll do that. But I'm gonna try not to check my mentions or anything else, and then I'll have my wife sift through the comments though too, and maybe I'll have her give me the positive comments, and maybe some I'll have her. I'll have her edit the nasty ones down to constructive criticism. So I won't see any insults, but I'll see people to give me constructive criticism. I just don't need to be hearing all those insults from the commenters. I'll hear the insults from my wife. I mean, she's she's pretty funny. She's uh, She doesn't let me get a big head at all. And mostly she does that by making fun of my big head, like my literally big, big head, my cranium. It's massive. It, it looks like something I found on a Mardi Gras float. Like I'm walking around with this this big head mask that I found in New Orleans, and I slapped it on my head. Uh, but anyway, we were broadcasting the radio show the other day from the Houston Open. It's a golf tournament at the Golf Club of Houston. We were out there Thursday and Friday. It's a great time. There's beautiful weather. And one of our guests on Friday was Mark Vandermeer, who's the play-by-play announcer for the Houston Texans. And the topic of sports psychology came up. And I told him that I'd seen a few sports psychologists back in the day, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. I got a lot of value out of it. But Mark asked me the one thing. He asked me, what's one thing that you've learned from a sports psychologist? And the first thing that I remembered was something I learned from James Lair, who wrote this book, Mental Toughness Training for Sports. And, and from what I remember, a lot of his stuff was about not dwelling on failure, uh, about having the ability to move forward after you make mistakes. And he's written a bunch of books. I'm sure he's still writing them. His name's James Lair, L-O-E-H-R, I believe. L-O- Let me look at that in my head. L-O-E-H-R. Yep, James Lair. That, you know, Google that. It'll pop up. But the one specific thing that I remembered was that he said, you've got to have a ritual after a bad play. Like you say something to yourself or there's a gesture you make that lets you clear the mistake out of your head. 
and move forward. Like, I acknowledge I made a mistake, and now I'm going to move on. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what my ritual was, but I had one. I swear I had a ritual. I'm thinking it was, oh, it was a clap. It was like a kind of an emphatic clap, and that just kind of cleared me and at the same time gave myself a pep talk. If you think about just kind of bringing my arms out wide, clapping in your, but not like a happy clap, just a ah type of clap. But that puts you in the mindset of, okay, we're going to move forward. It's harder to do on radio. If I mess up on radio, I'm going to be clapping in the studio. Um, but it, and it's interesting because one of the other things I learned from that book was that a lot of times when a player is throwing a fit after a bad performance, not just a, not a clap or a little ritual or some sort, if he's throwing a fit, it's about the athlete showing the world that he's upset so they don't criticize him for being apathetic as, as well as bad. And I, I don't know. I've thrown some fits that were definitely just because I was pissed off and it wasn't anything to do with wanting other people to know that I was mad. But I know what he, I know what he's talking about. But there are times when I've been completely alone and throwing a fit in the locker room and like genuinely glad that there wasn't a camera there because it would have been really embarrassing on YouTube. But I sometimes when you throw a fit, and you can think about this as an athlete, sometimes when you're flipping out, it's to keep other people from flipping out on you. So anyway, I had the clap. One of the other things that James Lair taught was that it's it's beneficial to create an alter ego, like like a character that you play when you step on the court. So some kids that are real timid in real life, if you're a, like a high school kid playing football and you don't feel like you're genuinely aggressive enough or that's just not in you, you can kind of create an alter ego that's an like this incredible badass, like a superhero almost. And, and it's easier to pull off than you might think because there's just something about stepping onto an athletic field, especially like when you're wearing a uniform. You know, you're already in cosplay mode. You're wearing a uniform with bright colors, and it makes you one of a group. And you do all these things that kind of make it easier to take on a whole new identity. And and I can't remember if it was James Lair or somebody else, but the theory of that alter ego is is backed up by studies they've done of different cultures and warfare going back through primitive societies and uh, just other civilizations where the societies that disguise themselves with masks or face paint or things like that, they tend to be more vicious in warfare because they, they separate themselves from these, like they almost dehumanize themselves. You can kind of divorce yourself from the notion that, hey, I'm a decent person and Seth doesn't do these things. And then all of a sudden you put on a bunch of war paint and 30 minutes later, Seth has eaten somebody's liver. Um, oh, 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 speaking of somebody's liver, I think I mentioned this in the uh, Kylie Wong interview. You got to watch the Santa Clarita diet on Netflix. It's Drew Barrymore and some other funny dude, and she plays a zombie. And it's actually really funny. It's like a, a genuinely funny zombie movie. It's, it's, it's really good. But going back to the role playing, John Randall, who a lot of you have heard me talking about, he's a Hall of Fame defensive tackle, and he's one of my heroes. I just absolutely loved him. And, and he's a six foot tall dude who was rocked up, but he's only six foot tall. He was small and he would just, he would slay these giant human beings. He's just a whirl of muscle and pass rush moves and spins and everything. He's just nonstop energy, but he'd face paint to an extreme degree. They actually changed the rules because of him, I think, because he, he would look like he was wearing war paint on Sundays and he had all these kinds of rituals on game day where they would they they'd steal energy from other people all this kind of eastern philosophy stuff but 
I don't know if he learned any of that from a sports psychologist. I think he was just kind of a natural-born, self-motivational genius. And he oh boy, he was crazy. Kylie Wong told me a story about him because Kylie played with him in Minnesota where Kylie was saying that Randall had like a staff of dudes from around the facility that he would enlist them to study and do background work on the opponents that week and find out personal stuff about him so he could talk trash about him. I don't think like not not overly personal, but you know what I mean? Just stuff to going back to high school days that he could try to get in their head. And he just he left no stone unturned when it came to that stuff. But uh, oh, oh, the one thing I forgot to talk about that I wish I had talked about instead of the ritual stuff when Mark asked me that question was self-talk, which is just talking to yourself which is really powerful stuff. It's just that you feel kind of kooky when you do it. And I don't do it anymore at all. I wish I still did. I'm going to start doing it. That'll be one of my April 1st resolutions. And, and really, honestly, I blame Stuart Smalley, who is that Al Franken character on Saturday Night Live that stared into the mirror and said, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. I think Stuart Smalley gave self-talk a bad rap because people thought it was something for wimps. But I'm telling you, athletes do it all the time. Like, they really do it all the time. And the basic theory is a pep talk from yourself is just as a good pep talk as a – it's just as good of a pep talk. It's as good a pep pep talk from yourself is as good as a pep talk from somebody else because your subconscious just flat out doesn't know the difference. And I don't know if that theory – his held up, but I don't care. Like, uh, I don't care whether my subconscious knows or not. I know that giving yourself pep talks and talking to yourself about your performance really does work. And a lot of times you're the only person there to do it. Everybody else is busy doing stuff or they're selfish, whatever. Um, and I remember my 10th year in the league on a really hot day during training camp, I was walking back from practice over the bridge there over Kirby Drive. It was a really hot day. It was miserable, and I, I came up on N.D. Kalu, who's about my same age, and uh, those of you from Houston know N.D., he's an awesome dude, um, and I could kind of hear him muttering something as I was walking up to him, and, uh, and so I just asked him, I was like, you giving yourself a pep talk? And he just laughed, and, and you know, N.D. with his deep voice, he looked at me, he said, you do it too, huh? Uh, and I do, at least I did, and I don't do it anymore, but I got to start, so... Uh, my April 1st resolutions will be uh, don't read comments until they've been curated by Brandy. And two, I'm going to start talking to myself more. More pep talks uh, to myself. There were two news stories that caught my attention this week. And uh, you know what? I'm only going to have time to get to one of them. So there's one news story, and uh, we'll just talk about the other one some other time. It was the Schlitterbahn Water Park story. For those of you who don't live in an area where there's a Schlitterbahn Water Park, there are these huge awesome water parks and there are a bunch of them all over the place the first one was in new brunfels uh close to san antonio some people pronounce it new brunsfels and they'll act like you're an idiot if you don't pronounce it that way but i've got it on good authority that people from new brunfels call it new brunfels so anyway it's this awesome water park it's huge i take my daughter there all the time she absolutely loves it but the story is really scary and i'm going to read from the houston chronicle it'll explain what happened some of you already know this but the story today was about Jeff Henry, who's the co-owner of Schlitterbahn. They're uh, being charged with, uh, I, I can't remember which crime it was exactly, um, but basically it's because a 10-year-old died at the water park in Kansas City in 2016. So Jeff Henry, 
along with two other Schlitterbahn employees, stand charged in the death of Caleb Schwab, a 10-year-old who was decapitated on the Verruckt water slide in Kansas City in 2016. Jeff Henry is one of the sons of the founder of Schlitterbahn. Oh, these are my own notes here. He's one of the sons of the founder of Schlitterbahn, and the father's deceased. But this guy, Jeff Henry, he's painted out like this wild genius who's way out of control. He's like this brilliant water slide designer, but his life is complete mayhem. And he's depicted in this story and in the lawsuit like this monster that won't listen to safety warnings. He berates people, just just a complete train wreck. But at the same time, these water parks are really successful and really cool. And I have a lot of fun. I like I've never felt threatened or dangerous necessarily at one. So again, from the Chronicle, Jeff Henry has had an atypical education for a water park executive and ride designer. A 2015 Texas Monthly article described him as a self-taught savant of water park design. He has no formal training, having dropped out of high school to work for his father as a teenager, prosecutors say. He's also been accused of running projects into the ground with cost overruns and missing deadlines. He has a mercurial personality, at times lashing out at family and business partners. So this guy, this um, this Jeff Henry... I, I'm reading this and I'm trying to figure out what he reminds me of. And I've re- seen another couple of things uh, this week. And and then it, it hit me all of a sudden while I was reading this morning. It's Tony Stark. It's Iron Man. Is that Tony? It's Tony Stark, right? Yeah, Iron Man. Um, And like, I guarantee you that Jeff Henry has watched Iron Man at some point and thought, yeah, that's who I want to be. Like, that's his alter ego. That's who he's pretending to be. Because he's this wild, he's a son of a titan of industry. So his father invented, he didn't invent the water park, but it created Schlitterbahn. So his father was this this giant in the industry, just like Tony Stark's father was a giant in the industry. He lives a wild life, all kinds of stories of drinking and boozing and drugs and uh, broken relationships with women. And he's regarded as a genius who's out of control ends up killing people just like 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 Tony Stark should be in jail his inventions have gone awry and killed many 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 people um but it's it's just crazy and it's it's almost like surreal there's got to be a movie made about this and it's scary at the same time and tragic obviously this 10-year-old kid was killed on a water slide that there had been a bunch of warnings and reports about and there are allegations that these safety reports were buried but on, on a practical level i guess the question is Am I going to stop going to Schlitterbahn because of this? And I would say, no, not a chance in hell. Like, I'm not the water slide in Kansas City. It was the biggest. It was the fastest in the whole damned world. And I they were pushing the envelope with that thing. You know, like they were they were going way outside the comfort zone. I feel like the slides in Galveston are established and I'll play by the numbers. Like if somebody's going to die, the chances that it's going to be me are astoundingly small. It's especially if you ever been to if you ever been there on a crowded day, it's loaded. Like there's no way you'd have to you'd have to get in line to be the one to die. There's just too many people there. It's packed. You could tell me that I'm the person. No, you couldn't tell me I'm the person. If you told me that one person was going to die that day, like at the day I'm at the water park, I'd still be lined up for the Guadalupe slide. Like, it's it's just too damned hot out. And the, and the chance of me being the one of thousands that gets it, like, on that particular day, are really, really, really small. So it's a tragic situation, don't get me wrong. But of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have gone and not died, um, yeah, there's there's just way, 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 way more people. The odds are in your favor uh, of, of not dying. And it's just too damned hot out 
which is a powerful motivator. I used to be terrified of the ocean until I lived in Jacksonville and I'd go to the beach in August and like 10 minutes into my first time at the beach in August, I was neck deep in the water. I had open, open cuts on my leg from practice. I didn't care. So I'm still going to Schlitterbahn. Uh, I hope the company does all right because they have fantastic parks and I know they've had some issues obviously with this from a PR standpoint. They're gonna have to have a they're gonna have to have a hell of a PR campaign. And I oh, you know they could sign. Jesus. They could they could take out the full page ad with Jesus. And I better get the hell out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, please, I would be eternally grateful if you would give a positive review on iTunes. Those are always awesome to see. And they warm my little heart. Uh, If you have an idea for the name of one of my other two shows, the health and fitness show or the NFL, excuse me, the football show, please suggest them to me. You can DM me on Twitter or email me at Seth at DeceptivelyFast.com. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.